Welcome to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. I'm Scott, and I thank you for joining us. This episode explores music generated in man-made and natural environments not typically considered performance venues. We'll meet three visionary artists who created works by tapping into the sonic qualities of a water treatment tank, a grain elevator, the interior of a bridge, and the subterranean world of caves. And we'll hear the results of their forays into these unconventional recording studios. They are Leah Bertucci, Dave Clarkson, and James Hoskins. Leah Bertucci is an experimental musician, performer, and composer based in New York City. Her work explores acoustic phenomena in a wide variety of ways. One of those strands is exploring the sonic qualities of architecture. Leah has performed extensively across the U.S. and Europe. A Rolling Stone reviewer recently said that one of her performances conjured a sense of awe that bordered on the sacred. She's released seven fascinating recordings. One of those, Resonant Field, was recorded in a grain elevator in Buffalo, New York. Playing her saxophone, Leah coaxed otherworldly sounds out of a man-made space made for an entirely different purpose. Another recent album, Acoustic Shadows, is a series of performances that took place inside the hollow body of a bridge in Cologne, Germany. Her work makes us question our assumptions about how we hear and what we hear, and even what music is. I like to think of myself as an organizer of sound. Whether it's curating shows, or uh, doing my own compositions, or doing sound design work, I think the umbrella term organizer of sound is just vague enough that uh, gives me enough latitude to be kind of flexible. The, you know, the, the term capital C composer has a lot of baggage attached to it, and for some reason sound artist always just kind of sounded ridiculous to me. I perform, I write for other instruments, I make virtual instruments as part of my practice, and I do a lot of sound design for theater and dance artists. So I grew up playing saxophone uh, from the age of nine, and I played jazz and classical music in my public school program. I guess it was sort of just like being exposed to free jazz early on. And then also some, you know, of the avant-garde 20th century composers like Meredith Monk and John Cage uh, started to allow me to question what the um, parameters or like what the definition of music really was, really is. And so I was kind of interested in, in um, exploring different kinds of approaches of looking for freedom within a musical discipline rather than perfection or rather than um, sort of regurgitating past ideas. I was more interested in looking forward to some kind of space of, of radical expression. And I found that experimental music really facilitated radical forms of expression because 
I think texturally and timbrally, it's willing to go to places that classical and even straight ahead jazz uh, is unwilling to go. And I think it really does describe something about our particular state as humans at the moment. Resonant Field is an album of saxophone and other instruments, which is all recorded in the Marine A Grain Elevator, which is part of a complex called Silo City in Buffalo, New York. It was formerly a major terminus for all the grain coming to the East Coast from the Midwest, but has since fallen into disuse. And now it's sort of used as, as an art space, but there's this one particular silo that has this crazy resonance that, I mean, it's the most psychedelic, immersive sort of experience that I've ever had in a sonic space where everything is resonating around you. Um, there's about 13 seconds of decay and then this crazy like sort of stereo delay effect happening in the space. So it's a really unique kind of place. So I was really interested in exploring the way that, you know, my acoustic instrument and the acoustic nature of the space can form this like third instrument or what I like to call the meta instrument. So it's the sound of the sounding object and the space together creating this third thing, the third sonic element. played in was this one silo that had a closed, they call it a hopper. Um, it's sort of like, so uh, the silo is the big cast concrete cylinder, and then the hopper is this part that comes down uh, at the bottom, and there's like a little hole in the bottom, so you can stick your head up into it and then be completely like immersed in this resonant space. It was interesting, it was very disorienting and a little scary, actually, because I could feel how vulnerable like my soft, you know, fragile human body is against the um, hardness of the cast concrete and the sort of like epic scale of the architecture. You know, it was it was kind of like humbling. My setup in terms of recording at Silo City was really simple. I had two omnidirectional condenser microphones. 
their Octava MK12s, this like uh, vintage uh, Russian microphone that I use a lot, both in omnidirectional patterns, one pointing up and then the other one pointing down. So I did that so that you can really capture a sort of like stereo effect because what would happen when I played is that the sound would bounce from the flat ceiling of the silo down to the bottom, the flat concrete you know, floor, and it would sort of like ricochet back and forth a number of times. So I really wanted to capture that. So it was just those two microphones. I'm a real believer in like less is more around this kind of thing.
Acoustic Shadows was a commission that I got from the Brücken Music Festival. It's a festival that takes place in Cologne, Germany every year, uh, I think for the last 26 years. And it's a festival that many of my heroes and uh, inspirations have participated in in years past. So it was really amazing to be in that lineage of, of artists. So that location uh, that the festival takes place is the hollow body of the Deutzer Bridge in Cologne, Germany. And uh, the bridge is cast concrete and it's about 440 meters long. So it has a lot of very unique sonic qualities uh, beyond just the resonance of the space and the, you know, sort of acoustic phenomenon of that room, uh, there's also a tram that goes over the bridge once every 15 minutes. So you can hear this very thunderous, low frequency, lateral moving sound. I wanted to create a project that both worked with the existing sound that's found on site, and then also to create an intervention by bringing instruments into the space. So I did three pieces. They lasted over the course of a week. The first one was for alto saxophone solo, the second one was for brass ensemble, and the third one was for a percussion trio. And the way that this piece worked was that there would be a performance uh, with instrumentalists that while the performance was taking place, fragments of uh, whatever was being played was captured by microphones in the space. And then after the performance ended, Fragments of that performance were played back through an eight-channel uh, spatialized speaker array. So it was sort of a, an effect of a performance that had no clear ending. It just turned into an installation.
Dave Clarkson is a prolific experimentalist who calls Manchester, England home. His exploration of the nether regions of music began in the 1980s when he initiated solo projects on cassettes. He's also a drummer, but his tastes have continued to lean toward the unconventional over the years. He's released many recordings under various artist names, both on his own and through the Linear Obsessional label. He's been featured on BBC Radio and in film festivals, and co-founded an experimental nightclub. One particular recording got our attention. It's called A Pocket Guide to Subterranea, Mysterious Caves of the British Isles. The liner notes describe it as six tracks recorded in unique caves. There are no additional sounds, but some are left pure, some processed, some mangled, and some untangled. These tracks are composed entirely from field recordings made in caverns, each named for a particular location. Using sound design, he developed these pieces. I describe myself predominantly as electronic-based experimental music. When I was younger, uh, when I was about 12, I used to have radios and I used to mess around with them and take them apart and reconstruct things and try to make sounds out of objects that weren't necessarily musical instruments uh, and radio interference, things like that. The first records that I ever listened to were things like uh, David Bowie, uh, Heroes, the, per- the Berlin period, and I got kind of some influence from Brian Eno and that kind of ambient, old ambient music. I, I was a big fan of Cabaret Voltaire and some of the British industrial music. And then I started making sounds myself from cassette recorders to record interference sounds I could find from household items and equipment and things. My father was a musician, he was a jazz musician, so I grew up listening to a lot of jazz. I've arrived at a point where I make music which is kind of experimental and field recordings, but I try to install in that music some kind of communication with people. But I try to make a a genre of music that uses those sounds to actually make musical conversation. The Caves album was the last album uh, that was released through the Field Recordings project. It's the most time-consuming work because uh, I travelled around the U- United Kingdom and I recorded sounds from about six, maybe seven different caves. Uh, I took them back to the studio and then I processed those sounds uh, into bass patterns or uh, percussion patterns or rhythms and and ambient sounds, stretch some of them to ambient sounds. All the sounds that are on that album have been generated from sounds in caves. That could be from water drips or from ambient, the whole ambience of hearing people in the distance inside caves or water pumps outside caves. Each of the titles of the album is, relates to the the cave where it was recorded.
caves. There were several several different caves that I, I, I visited. There was one in Yorkshire in England, which was a very deep cave, and uh, it's quite narrow. So there's a lot of quite a lot of reverb in there. There's a lot of if there's people in there, you can hear them from quite a long way. So you get a lot of echo, a lot of ambience. They're kind of wet inside that cave as well, so there's lots of drips and pools, pools of water. Another cave I went to was the Sea Cave in Cornwall, and there was crashing waves coming into the cave entrance, which was which which caused some amazing sounds. One of them was a really deep kind of bellowing deep sound where the water would then come out of the cave and create this amazing bass sound like very subliminal bass sound there was a cave i visited in derbyshire in england which was in a wood so basically you could hear the uh the bird song as well uh just in the cave entrance the cave acts as some kind of like amplifier as well to a certain extent because of the, the echo and the reverb. It kind of amplifies a lot of the natural sounds that surround it. Yeah.
the whole digital side of software has given me a real chance to develop that kind of experimental genre into give it more of a wider scope and also give me more ideas what I can do with it. By processing sounds made in caves or on coastal line, I can make them sound like they've not come from there at all and, and just use them as instruments and compositions. All these sounds that I record naturally, I'm thinking about them all as instruments in some kind of orchestra. I think for an expedition where I've got to get into like tight corners or things to get to recordings, I'll use kind of standard zoom microphones. I tend to use tripods and attach them to, I've got some kind of like poles that attach them to it so I can get them into areas where I couldn't get into myself. James Hoskins is no stranger to this podcast. He's an accomplished cellist and multi-instrumentalist from Boulder, Colorado. He's recorded with vocalist Vicki Dodd and free improv group Spontania on Right Brain Records. He's also been involved in many solo projects. One of them is an album called Inception. It was recorded at a place called The Tank. There's an interesting story behind this place. Originally constructed around 1940 for a water treatment plant, it was moved to Rangeley, Colorado in 1960 to be part of a fire suppression system. That never panned out because the tank began to sink. Sinking caused its floor to morph into a gentle parabolic shape. A sound artist discovered in the 1970s that the warping gave the abandoned metal structure extraordinary acoustic properties. It became a secret recording site and grew in popularity. Years later, Kickstarter campaigns led to the creation of a professional studio and the Tanks Center for the Sonic Arts. James recorded there in the still early days. Inception captures the accidental majesty of this gigantic structure. There's this 65 foot tall by 30 foot diameter tank 
there's no parallel surfaces. Music just goes around and around and around and doesn't just cancel itself out. During that Kickstarter, I got called by the people that were running that to come in and do a recording session before Solstice a couple of years ago. There's a man named Bruce Odland who went through on Chautauquas to these different places looking at interesting sounding places and record there. And a couple of locals in this little town called Rangeley, Colorado, near Dinosaur National Monument, heard that he was recording stuff and they sort of kidnapped him and he got in this redneck's truck and and they took him there and shoved him through that hole and then stood outside and threw rocks at it. And that was their idea of, you know, what they could figure out to do with this wild sounding place. And, and Bruce is an amazing sound artist and he saw the potential in that. And so he purchased that and later on when it was going to be sold the scrap metal, um, they put together these Kickstarter campaigns to save the tank. They turned it into a recording studio with a proper control room and microphones. I knew that I wanted to do a variety of things, and so I set up some improvisational scenarios. And then when I got there, that all went out the window for a while and I only got to accomplish part of what I had set out to do because they were still doing technical installation of the microphones and wiring cables and setting up and testing Pro Tools. During the day I was able to test out different things with different instruments and singing and percussion and, and find places in the tank that sounded good but they kept putting me off until after lunch and then after dinner and then finally we had to do it. And my wife actually had to jump in and solder microphone cables so that one of the engineers would just be able to hit record and monitor myself playing.
I assigned a series of notes to each chakra. And when I played that note, I put my energy, energy and attention to that place. I could go linearly in the chakras by going up that system of, of notes that I had laid out. And that felt really great and ended up a piece. cello has an interesting inherent ability to mimic marine mammals and created a whole track that I called a dreaming of whales because it felt like felt like I was playing cello spinning around in the water with whales responding to me I enjoyed that I utilize a lot of extended harmonics and sounds in my playing. I just wanted to see how they would fly in that tank and see how the tank responded with them. One thing I found that was most interesting was that I could play a sequential series of notes and they would end up all in the air at the same time. They're all swimming around at once as a chord.
music spins around, and since the mics were hung at uh, 30 feet above me, 15 feet above me, and then a pair of mics um, at, at right angles to each other, right pretty much in front of me, the notes would move around in space, and so each of these microphones heard something different, and they took time to get from one of this, these mics to another. And when this note was being produced, another one that I played a, you know, a second before was already up in the air, but still present, but different in its uh, timbre and you know decay. So it's like I had to play with the tank as an instrument and respond as it responded. It was all improvisational. It produced in me a state of presence and awareness that I feel when I listen to it. Everything that I played is as it was. And so it doesn't have an overwhelming conceptual feel to it. It has a very um, meditative and explorative feel to it, but there's a lot of grace and beauty in the, in the melodic and tonal content. James Hoskins, Dave Clarkson, and Leah Bertucci have all committed to explore new and unexpected musical territory. Why go there? I asked Leah. The way that experimental music can describe contradictory emotional states or subtle emotional states, you know, it's not just like happy, sad, angry. It's like all of those things all at once, which is kind of like certainly been my experience of this past year. 
I think we live in a civilization that, as we see, is, you know, not working and is pretty much collapsing. So I think that the usual forms of expression sort of become a little bit inadequate right now because we're living through such radical times. I think that these times demand a similar kind of form of expression. To learn more about Leah Bertucci, Dave Clarkson, and James Hoskins, and to connect to their projects, see our blog entry for this episode at rightbrainrecords.com blog. You've been listening to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. You can visit us at rightbrainrecords.com. Farewell for now. Join us next time.